I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast, taping this late on a Tuesday. Old friend from the Roar, Billy Marshall is here. Billy, good evening, sir. How are you? Hey, man. Glad we can uh, finally catch up and do this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've done this before. Uh, you're an OG here on the Chase Thomas podcast, but uh, you also host a great uh, Carolina Panthers podcast called The Roar. And uh, first off, uh, Billy, I need the Panthers to stop. Can they stop, please? Um, as the Falcons uh, debuted Desmond Ritter this week against the Saints, um, and the division's still very much uh, in play because the Bucks very much do not want to win said division. Uh, I want to host a playoff game, and I need the Panthers and Steve Wilkes to stop whatever nonsense they're doing. Can Can you stop? It's Ritter time. I mean, if you guys went out, you control your own destiny too. So it's true. So it's it's up to you guys at this point. Nothing Carolina can do. I mean, you know what Carolina can do? Act like a team that just fired their coach in the middle of the year. Act like a team that is on quarterback number three, that is on um, the Sam Darnold train, and just you traded Christian McCaffrey midseason, and it just, you traded Robbie Anderson, and yet here you are. Win after win, you beat the Seahawks this week. Um, as an outsider who has not watched a bunch of Panthers up close outside of uh, the Panthers uh, Falcons game in Atlanta that was bonkers up until the very end, including that DJ Moore touchdown reception. But um, as someone watching every game and studying this team and having a good feel for this team, uh, Billy, why why is this all working? Uh, and specifically, why is the defense uh, as dominant and as good as it's been in, in the last few weeks? Yeah, I think defensively, they just finally found a point where um, you know, a lot of things have aligned correctly for them. Um, you know, first off, when they dismissed Matt Roll, mm. uh, the previous uh, defensive coordinator, Phil Snow, has been a really uh, trusted confidant of Roll. He also uh, decided to step down with him. So mm. they had to adjust to, you know, sort of a different defensive scheme in some ways. I mean, the principles for the most part are still there, but there's also some new. Uh, areas that they've implemented, uh, you know, especially with how their uh, coverages uh, are kind of working on the back end. There's a lot less blitzing that they're doing. It's more of a four uh, down, you know, base defense, uh, you know, which are nickel sub packages. The coverages are still pretty diverse and, you know, how they're uh, kind of matching some wide receiver concepts here and there, like you saw with the JC Horn interception. Um, but for the most part, I think that they had to adjust to a new scheme, essentially, you know, in some ways, um, you know, adjust to that. Uh, 
you know, I think it was the Bengals game where they just got torched. Um, it was like at one point 35 nothing at halftime. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, after that game, they played the Falcons on a short week, and uh, their defense has been really good. Uh, mm-hmm. They only allowed uh, 13 points to the Ravens. Um, obviously, last week they did really well, gave up a garbage time touchdown, so that kind of inflates a little things a little bit. And uh, you know, the week before that, uh, they were on a bye, but uh, before the bye week, uh, they kind of held the Broncos uh, in check as well. And obviously, Denver isn't a good offense, but I think just a lot of the uh, you know principles that they've implemented. They they're kind of finally getting used to it. What's the most sustainable part of what they're doing defensively, in your estimation? Yeah, so it, I think the most sustainable thing is that they're not allowing a lot of explosive plays. Hmm. Uh, you know, even in that Falcons game, um, you know, when they had that crazy overtime uh, game, not they, the Thursday night debacle in the rain. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think that their run defense uh, from a gap integrity standpoint has tightened up uh, because it finally gives them like breathing room to, uh, you know, kind of really just get creative uh, with their coverages. And even when they do bring blitzes, they want to be opportune with them uh, and look to bring them on third down. So, uh, you know, in some ways I think that just the overall, um, you know, performance and them being able to get off the field on third downs, uh, it's really helped their defense um, kind of just manage. I mean, they are generating like a lot of turnovers in some sense. I mean, I know they got two last week, um, but they aren't, you know, getting these turnovers at like an unsustainable rate where you're like, okay, that's definitely going to uh, regress to the mean eventually. So the fact that they are able to limit teams, uh, limit their explosives, and they're still not even generating a lot of turnovers yet, I think that bodes well for the future in terms of darnold who um has been leading things since baker uh moves on to uh la you've had a lot of pj walker this year but darnold we had not seen until until the last few weeks has he been good has he been different like what is actually real with what darnold's been able to do uh in this different scheme uh with mcadoo this year I mean, it's been two games, so it's really, mm. really the sample size isn't much. Yeah, and I'll just say this: last week, I think the run game uh, was a huge factor in uh, the success of their offense. Mm. Um, and a lot of what you saw from Darnold was—it uh, wasn't. It's not like he played bad. I mean, he made some a couple nice throws, like in tight windows, like the one to uh, Terrace Marshall, where he had to kind of catch it with his legs. Uh, and mm-hmm. there was another one in the first drive that he just zipped in there to Chenault on a, um, you know, like a 10 like yard intermediate route that he fit mm-hmm. in between two defenders. Um, so to me, Darnold isn't doing anything that would suggest that he's like a different player. Um, they're really kind of limiting him in some ways. It's a lot of play action boot concepts uh, where he's getting on the roll has one or two reads. And if he doesn't see anything, he throws it away. Uh, and even when they're doing just a regular drop back play action, when he's not booting, um, they're just creating defined reads for Darnold to really just figure something out. And um, if it's not there, then potentially scramble, throw it away. Um, his internal clock, which has been an issue for him throughout his career is still kind of lagging. Uh, you know, the Seahawks, 
don't have the fiercest of pass rushes, especially on the edge. Um, mm-hmm. But those guys were able to, uh, you know, pretend, they were very close to forcing him to you know, sack fumble in some situation. So he has to be uh, very cognizant of that in the future. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the thing with Darnold throughout his career is like, you know, you see the flashes uh, when he came back against Denver, he made some really impressive throws to DJ Moore. Um, but it's just a consistency and the consistency in that Denver game was, I mean, he didn't, again, he didn't play poorly in that game either, but he also, you know, outside of those couple flash throws, um, you know, he really wasn't lighting the world on fire. So there's nothing he's doing that really just makes me think that he's like a changed player. True or false, he is under center as QB1 week one next year. Well, he's not under contract anymore. Um, yeah. So they have to re-sign him, uh, which I, again, I, I don't know. I, I really don't. Too early to say. Yeah, maybe if it's like a one or two year deal, like a similar deal to like Mitch Trubisky got. Yeah. Uh, like you know, 16 million for two years or 20 million. Like maybe that. Uh, but again, that's all contingent on how he does for the remaining four games because um yeah as well as steve wilkes has done we don't know who if he's going to be the head time head football coach in 2023 i think he should um but again there's just a lot of factors that go into it and in addition to that we don't know if ben mcadoo is going to remain as his offensive coordinator um so there's just it's very it's a very fluid situation but uh, if you were to ask me to put a percentage on there i would say it's probably 60 40 he stays but um, you know, even then, it's not like he's lighting the world on fire. He's going to get like a you know monster deal. Interesting. Well, you mentioned Steve Wilkes and that you believe he should stay, which I think is interesting because, look, as a Falcons fan, very biased here, Billy. But um, a division next year, if we get Bowles, Dennis Allen, and Steve Wilkes for a full year, all over again next year, and Ritter's good. I'm not saying mortgage the house or give up the the bet the mortgage on the falcons winning the nfc south next year but i'm also not saying it are you not concerned based on the arizona time and based on like this small sample size for steve wilkes and the offense still not looking all that great and just seeing kind of uh the promoting from within especially on the defensive side of the ball where it's just it's such an offensive driven league. I guess it really just depends on who he would end up hiring as OC, but would he keep McAdoo going into next year? Like, I don't know. Does that not really, really scare you? Um, running it back with Steve Wilkes uh, next year? Uh, no, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of risks that are associated with it, but I would also kind of, there are some risks um, going in the other direction too. Mm. Let me just say this. First of all, the history with interim head coaches getting the full-time gig is not pretty at all. I think one of the few successes was like Jason Garrett, I think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Garrett was like the epitome of like a (laughs) mediocre head coach, which is, I I will say, given what we're seeing across the league, I think being mediocre is totally fine. And some, some teams need that to try to just elevate their floor. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what this Carolina franchise probably needs at this point. Um, and, And the reason I say that is because, you know, d- d- the owner David Tepper is such a wild card. Like, I honestly do not trust him to find someone better. And if he did, like, it can also just go sideways because we're seeing it in Denver right now. They hired this hot shot offensive guy from Green Bay, worked with Aaron Rodgers, and it's a complete train wreck. 
Um, you know, that, though, it's like they don't they just look at that they don't talk about like he wasn't really a Shanahan guy and then you go back and it was like he was also the OC for the Blake Bortles years and you go back and the Bills from years ago it's like uh, this trucker was mostly not very good it was just he was partnered with Aaron Rodgers for a couple years and was Aaron Rodgers best friend that kind of changed how people saw Nathaniel Hackett I don't know if he's that's a different I, I feel like that's a different one no, for sure. I would agree with that, but I think that to be a head coach, to be a good head coach, you need to have a very um, broad kind of coalition as far yeah. as like how you're able to manage not only a locker room but just your expertise and on both sides of the ball. Now, I, there there were some concerning things that I saw the first few weeks when he was in charge, like the fourth down stuff. But then I saw mm-hmm. him go into Seattle and be very aggressive. You know, they had multiple fourth downs that they you know tried and they were up three points and you know the analytics say when you're up three points you should not settle for a field goal in that situation so they kept going on fourth down unfortunately they got stopped at the goal line um you know eventually didn't matter seattle started way back like inside their own two and uh they really couldn't get any further so that was an encouraging sign um but overall i think that to be a good head it's just we don't there's no like good formula for Mm -hmm. diagnosing what a good head coach is like everyone loves mike mcdaniel and i like him too but like the Dolphins are now, they've lost two in a row. They they might lose three in a row going, to, you know, when they go to Buffalo this week. Like, is there any like certainty that he's like, you know, this great head coach either? Like, I don't, I don't know. And, and like, there's other guys too, like Kevin Stefanski. I think he's a great offensive play caller, but you know, he had that one COVID year where he they did really well. Yeah. But, you know, like everyone's questioning his defensive coordinator hires and if he's like, you know, has the guts to fire his good friend joe woods right and there's just so much that goes into being a head coach outside of you know you're obviously going to get some outliers like kyle Shannon. i would just hire like D'Amico ryan's though like just go get D'Amico ryan's just go get eric Bieniemy. go get um uh the other floor you can't go wrong with the floors the the oc with the jets um just go get somebody like that i mean I don't know. I think there are options. I understand the risk involved, but I just, the interim history is so bad. And we've seen Steve Wilk as a full time head coach, and that was one of the worst offenses in NFL history. And I don't know if you want to trust him to hire the right offensive guy. I mean, it was Mike McCoy in Arizona, if I recall. And that did not go well. He got fired really early on to that. I don't know. But like, the yeah, other part the of this is, is just like, if you don't have a quarterback, it doesn't really matter right now and if he can d- develop some sort of strong defensive identity and they have that and then you you move on when you you draft the quarterback i guess that's the other thing it's like i i don't know i think it's tough no it is but like i like D'Amico ryan's too but like what's the i mean D'Amico is also a, a defensive guy yeah so like, but i trust him to make a better offensive hire i guess like the shanahan tree like robert sala hired a great oc um and they're turning the corner a little bit if they had hit on the wilson pick i mean jets are a contender in the afc right now no, for sure. And, and I, I like I like Robert Sala a lot too, but mm. I still think that with Sala at least, he was like a coordinator and for multiple years he went through kind of the grind. And I'm not taking anything away from D'Amico Ryans. I think he's going to be a good head coach. Yeah. But uh, I mean, there's just a lot of experience that you need to kind of really just maintain yeah. um, being able to be a head coach. I just I don't think that this organization after the Matt Rule experience I'm not sure that they're going to go in a direction where they hire the first time guy. Now, if it's a retread, I think that they would sign for John Fox. Let's get the gang back together. John Fox back in Carolina. You heard it here first. And, you know, when they were in 2020, I was kind of 
resistant to Mike McCarthy, but I think mm. yeah, he's turned out to be a fantastic coach in Dallas. I know a lot of people like to make fun of him, myself included at times, but um, you know, that probably would have been a good hire back then. I mean, you're seeing mm. some other, you know, retreads kind of uh, really do well on their second stop. Um, especially the guys who coach the offensive side of the ball, maybe not the, uh, you know, the Dennis Allen and Todd Bowles types, but, um, but I mean, it's, it's just, it's an organization where a lot of, it was very toxic under rule mm. and it's just going to take a lot to, uh, you know, raise the floor of this team. And I, and again, I get it. My question to my, just my, my, my thoughts right now are, are the Las Vegas Raiders in a better position if they kept Rich Basaccia or are they worse? Because they yeah. also, you know, they moved on from Basaccia who took him to the playoffs it was a very similar situation. He, you know, Gruden left like very early in the year. You know, the Raiders eventually made the playoffs and they went for the, uh, you know, experienced offensive mind in McDaniels. And it's, you know, very mixed results, I would say right now. So you just, it, I, there's just no formula, I think is right. what I'm going to say. And I, I totally understand the Wilkes experience in Arizona. It, he wasn't good, but I think there was a, he, I mean, as we're seeing now, that organization with their general manager, it's it's not set up to succeed. Um, so, I mean, uh, let's fair. just see how it goes, I guess. Um, that's interesting. Uh, with In terms of Matt Rule, though, you mentioned, mentioned toxic aspect of it. Like, Snow, I think, was a pretty solid DC for years. I, I wonder how much of it was just they never had the right quarterback, how much of it was just he was not cut out to be an NFL head coach and make that transition from college to pro, how much of it was just Federer did not assemble the right pieces for this staff. Like, how, how do you, like, figure out who deserves the majority of the blame and what's gone wrong in his tenure? Well, the a lot of the um, beat writers, especially one of the beat, former beat writers, he covers at Texans now, Jonathan Alexander. Mm-hmm. He went on my co-host's uh, radio show, um, and he said that Matt Rule has full roster control and it was baked into his contract. Mm. Um, so if you go back to when they hired Matt Rule, uh, they kept Marty Herney on as a general manager. Mm. So for that year, uh, you know, Luke Keekley had retired, Greg Olson had moved on. Um, you know, in addition to that, uh, they had a decision to make with Cam Newton, and they announced that the combine that they're keeping cam newton then a week later they want to trade him eventually they don't trade him they were just making a lot of short-term moves that offseason and the teddy bridgewater signing was like the catalyst to how i felt uh, that things would go Um, you know the joe brady hire i was very excited with and i am still i don't regret uh, i don't think anyone should regret that experience i think he was a very talented offensive coordinator and He's going to be another very good offensive coordinator wherever else he goes. Where um, is he now? He's a quarterbacks coach in Buffalo. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the Teddy Bridgewater thing just kind of really set me off because Matt Rule kept saying that, you know, he's loved met Teddy Bridgewater at like a sugar bowl, like practice or something. And he, his defensive back coach had known Teddy Bridgewater in the recruiting trail. So that was signed off by him. Uh, you know, unfortunately for Marty Herney, he got fired at the end of that first year. They bring in a new general manager who can work with Matt Rule, and that's when they signed Sam Darnold. And obviously, that doesn't go well. You give up you know, that much draft capital. Uh, again, they had wanted to pursue Matt Stafford. Uh, that didn't work out because 
the Lions wanted Jared Goff in return, and the general manager in Detroit knew uh, was just came from Los Angeles, and then uh, they tried to pursue Deshaun Watson before Houston said no, and then the allegations came out and he didn't play, uh, and they settled for Darnold, and I would say that again a very key factor in Matt Rule, uh, and I think Scott Fitter obviously had a part in that as well. Uh, but no, I think the quarterback decisions were driven by rule primarily. And I think that he has to uh, certainly hold his blame for that. I know he feels probably differently, but, um, you know, I can't really argue with facts when, you know, the contract, uh, you know, is baked in that you have full roster control. Uh, last thing here, the most important young piece on this team is it JC Horn. Who is the most important young piece that you are just like he has to stay. He is just going to be a big factor in the next few years and getting us through this rebuild to uh, back to contention uh, in the NFC. Who is it? Yeah, as much as I like Horn, um, I would probably have to say Iki Aquanu, their hmm. tackle that they drafted from NC State. Think, yeah, and he's played really well. But again, it's really hard to judge him because they aren't really dropping back. Uh, in a traditional pass set. So you can't really, it's just tough to gauge really how he does um, from a pass blocking standpoint without those reps. But mm-hmm. the book coming out of college is that he's a fantastic run blocker and he showed that. Um, but the reason why I feel like he's the most important piece is because this franchise has missed a quality left tackle since Jordan Gross retired in like 2013. Uh, and whoever plays quarterback, they need that trusted left tackle. Um, on his protecting his blind side. So if Iquano can work out, uh, and I think he will, uh, you've seen the flashes this year, Uh, he's gotten better each and every week, then that bodes very well for this team in the future because uh, you know, as plenty of statistics and studies have shown, uh, the best way for teams to kind of maintain sustainability year after year is a good offense. And you know, one of the primary factors of a good offense is a good offensive line. This offensive line has been played really well, um, but you know the left tackle has been missing for so many years. And if they can kind of nail that before they pursue whichever quarterback they do pursue, I think that'll bode well for them in the future. I like it. Uh, how does the season end? Well, in there, Billy, do they make the playoffs? Do they win the NFC South? How do the last uh, what four games go for them? Yeah, so a very tricky game against Pittsburgh this week. I don't know if, if Kenny Pickett plays. I'm a little less confident. I think Mitch Trubisky, um, you know, he might have a little more upside throwing the deep ball, but he was he was a turnover machine the past last week against Baltimore. Um, but yeah, I think they they can pull. I think they pull it out this week. Uh, Detroit game again, an, another really tough game against a team that's also playing for their playoff lives. Uh, I'm a little less confident in that, but you know Steve Wilkes is currently undefeated at home, so I'll say they finish. I mean, it's going to be tough. I'll say they go two and two, and I don't think they make it. I think seven and ten is what they finish up with, and I mean, I think whoever f- finishes with eight wins probably wins the division. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's going to be tough, and I think the. Uh, the Bucks, they might just get lucky because I know they got the Cardinals on Christmas now without Kyler. So, Oof, that's an ugly game. This Bucks offense and Colt McCoy and company—that's that's ugly on Christmas. 
Um, Billy, what can the good folks do to check out you and the team over at the Roar? Anything else you'd like to play as we wrap up here tonight? Yeah, you can find us on you know pretty much every podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, wherever. And you can find me on Twitter at BillyM underscore 91. You can also find my co-host, John Ellis, at One Panther Place. That's the number one Panther Place. There you go. This was awesome reconnecting, sir. I appreciate you taking the time this evening. Um, I can't say good luck the rest of the way because <laughs> I don't uh, wish the Panthers well whatsoever. So uh, hope for nothing but sadness for you, Billy. Uh, but personally, <laughs> have a great holiday season. And uh, we will have to do this again soon. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing mm-hmm. your, um, pleasantness. You're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.